0: We're continuing on in First Peter. We've covered two chapters so far. We have seen the past several weeks, uh, the idea that Peter has been focusing on is that of submission. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, when we were about halfway through chapter 2, I told you that for the next couple of weeks, the main word was the Greek hupotasso, which is submit depending on your translation this morning it either says be subject or submitting or be uh, or submit yourself but it's all saying the same thing it's translating the same word just in different variations so the idea has been to submit ourselves to various aspects of life of authority that God Himself has ordained in the world. And we saw, first of all, that it was to submit to government authorities, all of the civil institutions. And then we moved on to looking at slaves and masters. And then we looked at the example that Christ set as the suffering servant. And now we're turning our attention to the home. The title of today's sermon is A Godly Wife, Peter has been teaching us how to live as faithful sojourners in a land that is not our own. That is to live faithfully in light of what is pleasing to God while in the midst of a wayward world. You've heard, you've heard the phrase before. When in Rome... Do as the Romans do, right? Well, ironically, this was likely taking place in or around Rome. But the mentality of Christians is not when in Rome, do as the Romans do. But when in Rome, do as God would have you do. You see, we're not to adopt the ideals and the ideas and the ways of thinking, the ways of living as the world around us. We are sojourners. Remember, that's the idea here, is that we are in a place that does not belong to us. So we have different customs, at least we ought to. We have a different way of living, at least we ought to. And all the more, should our marriages look different than the world. Especially in a day and age where more than Half of marriages end in divorce. Allow me to say as a preface to all of this, I know that this can be a delicate situation and conversation for some people. I want you to know that there is grace aplenty at the foot of the cross. Unfortunately, we live in a post-fall world where even our relationships are affected by sin. So some of you have experienced that for yourself. Please do not misinterpret any of this today as a direct attack on you, because there is forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus for yours and for everyone's. However, that does not mean that we need to then forego the instruction of God and then overlook and say, well, you know what? Things just don't work that way today. That was a different culture back then. No, that doesn't mean that. All the more instead, should we turn to the pages of the written Word and say, how will He have us live? How shall we live? Whether you have a marriage today or not, or you find yourself as a single man or woman hoping to have a godly wife or husband one day, or even... Perhaps you have friends who are married and they turn to you for advice. How should you counsel them? My friends, the pages of Holy Scripture, that's how. And so, whoever you are this morning, though Peter's attention and focus in these six verses is on women and particularly wives, all of us stand to benefit because we know that all of Scripture is God-breathed all of it, and it's all profitable for us. Our faith is countercultural. We do not live like the world because we are not of the world. So that means that, you know, today we live in a, in a feminist society, don't we, where feminism kind of is the way of the world, and it's about female empowerment. You see that often. But what does God's Words say? How does he have outlined for a woman to carry herself and conduct herself? Though the world would tell us that submission in the home is to be oppressive, what's truly oppressive is to ask or cause someone to live in a manner that is not how God designed them to live. To have women fill a role that God did not design for them in the name of liberty is what's truly oppressive. Because women have been created for a purpose by God Almighty. So let's see what that is as it pertains to the home specifically. If you would, please stand with us as we read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the living God. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we turn our attention to hear from you through your word, I pray that we, that is exactly what would happen, Lord. That you would use me... Is nothing more than a vehicle, an instrument, a conduit through which your word flows. Father, I pray that you would keep me from interjecting my own personal opinions or thoughts, but that only God's word would be heralded and proclaimed this morning, and they would be received as the very words of God. I pray that Christ would be glorified and that our marriages would be enriched and strengthened from this, Lord. In your holy name we pray, amen. You can be seated. We need to get a touch of some historical context of this time. You see, women in the Greco-Roman world often were not viewed as being exactly on par as men. In some situations, they were viewed as property. They belonged to their father, until marriage, and then whenever the father would give the wife over, the woman over in marriage, then she belonged to the husband. She was essentially his property. Now, today it doesn't quite operate that way, does it? We understand, uh, we have progressed to now understand that uh, and treat women in such a way where we are co-heirs in Christ Jesus. However, that does not eliminate the roles that God has set forth for us in the creation order. People like to point to Galatians where Paul says that there is no longer male or female, Jew or Greek, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And that is true. We are all one in the sense that we all need the same measure of grace because we're all equally condemned before God Almighty. And that Christ did not die for men more than He died for women. Christ does not put men into a place in His kingdom that's more dignified or, or we have special access to God that women do not have. That's not the case. We are all one in Christ Jesus. But that does not then annihilate the creation order. We still have roles that have been ordained by God Himself. And so we see in history how these different things have progressed. Now, I want you to pay attention to the fact that there are six verses dedicated to women, and yes, only one verse dedicated to men. And while we might cry, unfair, unfair, the one verse for men is packing a punch, okay? So we'll get there next week as well. But during this time, it would have been very bizarre, actually frowned upon and even shameful, if whenever a woman became married to a man, this woman had her own religion than her husband did. You see, if a husband was a worshiper of uh, God A, this particular idol, then whenever the woman got married to this man, it was incumbent upon her to take on the religion of that man and, and worship that same false God. Well, what if they were both agnostic? You know, they didn't really believe in, in a God. Well, then the woman would have to abandon any belief or search for God and do what her husband does. However, whenever the gospel was starting to spread, women were being converted just like men were. And in some situations, the wife was converted and the husband wasn't. This would be a cause for great turmoil in the home, wouldn't it? Where the wife's going this way, the husband's going this way. We don't have unity because we're going in different directions Well, the wife could say, well then, I am leaving here because you do not serve the God that I serve. But what's Peter's instruction? It's not jump ship. It's not abandon him. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He says to be subject to your husband. I want you to notice that this theme has been consistent throughout each section that we've looked at. When it came to the government, Peter wasn't saying, go, now that you're Christians, go overthrow the government, right? Uh, In the slave and master dynamic. He wasn't saying, you slaves, go free yourself and avail yourself of responsibility to your master and go uh, uh, take over your master's household. He didn't say any of those things. Instead, he was saying, the situation that you're in remained there and here is how you need to conduct yourself. If you remember during the slave and master section, he was saying, not just to the good and gentle, but even to the cruel and to the unjust, that you as a Christian, your responsibility is to submit yourself. And so the same way of thinking applies to wives here. Peter isn't saying wives, if your husband's not a believer, what are you doing? Ditch that guy. He's saying, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So in this section, I want us to look at three characteristics of a godly wife. Our first one is that she is submissive. Verses 1 and 2. Let's read it together. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. She is submissive. Remember, During this time, it would have been very difficult. It would have created a lot of turmoil in the home for the wife to be saved and the husband to not be a believer. And this is why Peter is saying, even if some do not obey the Word, even if your husband's not a believer, be subject to him. Let's make a quick note here and understand this is the importance of being equally yoked. For those of you who are seeking marriage one day, uh, young girls, you want to understand that he says be subject to your own husbands. That means that when you choose for yourself a a, a husband, when you see a man that perhaps has attracted you and grabbed your attention, you need not think, is this this man going to have a good 401k and be able to provide for our family? But is this going to be the kind of man that I could submit myself to? Do you understand the difference in thinking? This is how we conduct ourselves as faithful sojourners. Is this going to be the kind of man that I will happily be able to submit myself to for the rest of my days? Because I will be in a covenant with Him before God Almighty. Therefore, I must choose carefully. Anybody who's married or has been married could tell you that this is not without challenges, now is it? (laughs) This is not without challenges. This comes with great difficulty, and why? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. If you will turn with me there. I want you to put eyes on this for yourself. Genesis chapter 3. you don't know, it's the first book of the Bible, right after the table of contents, Genesis chapter 3. Where we're picking up is Adam and Eve have fallen, they have eaten of the forbidden fruit, and now God is handing out curses. Essentially, here are your consequences for having Eaten of the fruit that I told you not to. Look at verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What does this mean? Your desire is contrary to your husband. Well, this word is used only three times. One time in the Song of Solomon, and it's in reference to uh, physical intimacy. It is that sort of desire. But the other time that we see it, it's in verse 7 of chapter 4. If you'll flip there, chapter 4, verse 7 of Genesis. The Lord is speaking here to Cain. He says, if you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You see, we understand what he's saying here now. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over sin. In other words, sin wants to rule you. It wants to dominate you, but you must rule over sin. And this is the same word that God uses back here in Genesis 3. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. In other words, part of the Genesis curse, my sisters in Christ, is that your desire is going to be to rule over your husband. Perhaps you can see some of that in yourself. And you see, oh, that's why I do that. That's why it's not just easy to say, yes, honey, let's go that way. Yes, let's go eat there tonight. Right? Not, it's just a joke trying to lighten the mood here. But you see, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. This is the reason why there's so much difficulty. There in women submitting to their husband, is your desire is contrary. You want to rule over your husband. So we have to recognize that and not just say, well, thanks a lot, Eve. Because we're technically all saying that. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. You guys messed it up for all of us. Instead, we say, okay, well, I recognize that in myself. So I have to be conscious now of how this operates in my life that I can be faithful to obey what God has called me to do. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. A godly wife, the first characteristic is that she submits to her husband. But if a husband's an unbeliever, it's quite possible that what he's leading you to do is to sin against the Lord your God. And there we would say, just as we have said in every situation, that you must obey God rather than men. But not in a manner where you're telling Him off and, and you know, causing a lot of friction in the home. But, honey, I would love to submit to you in this situation, but you're asking me to do something I cannot do. I cannot sin against God. I can't. I love you. I want peace in our home. I want to be submissive, as God has called me to do. But what you're asking me to do is to be obedient to God, and He is my ultimate authority. I want you to look at this text with me. He says that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Women, it's it's possible for you to conduct yourselves in such a way in your home that you could win an unbelieving husband to Christ. If that's not motivation enough, then we need to revisit the conversation of whether you love this man. If you don't want his salvation, so if you conduct yourself in a particular way, God can use You, your beautiful, respectful, and pure conduct in the home as a means to bringing an unbelieving husband to salvation. How incredible is that? That is some real life uh, influence that you can hold over your husband. You've heard the term, you've heard people say, well, the husband is the head of the home, but the woman is the... The neck, I know you've heard that one. The woman is the neck. She can turn the head wherever she wants it to go. You know what that is? That's a passive-aggressive form of ruling over the husband. But if you want to have a fruitful, flourishing marriage, what you do is you turn to the Scriptures and you say, what is God calling me to do Women, if you can win over an unbelieving husband with your respectful and pure conduct, how much more a husband that does believe, how much more is he going to look and say, I see the Spirit of God at work in you. Ladies, there couldn't be a better compliment that your husband could pay to you. Not just that you look beautiful today. Those things are important. Those things matter. But how much better to be able to say, I can see you growing in Christ. And you know what? You've convicted me by the way that you live because of your pure and respectful conduct. That's incredible. That is influential. And that is a beautiful pattern that God has laid out for us. Number two. She has inner beauty. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious which in God's sight is very precious. She has inner beauty. Now I want to say, first of all, Peter is not explicitly condemning the braiding of hair or the wearing of jewelry. But you have to understand during this time and perhaps in, in, in every age, uh, women were particularly obsessed with lavish and opulence, lavish uh, jewelry and and opulent uh, jewelry. They were obsessed with uh, all of these fancy hairstyles and dresses and, and different colors of silk and different materials. And they were wanting to make themselves look beautiful to the world around them. They wanted to look beautiful to other women and to be the envy of other women. Perhaps that's still in human nature. But what Peter is saying is, this should not be the only way that you're beautiful, is because you can do yourself up well in the morning. Those things are great. But what's more important is the hidden person of the heart. You'll remember God saying in 1 Samuel sixteen seven man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. So it's possible then to conduct yourself in such a way where you are beautiful to men and the envy of other women because of the way that you adorn yourself externally, but that the hidden person of the heart you want to stay hidden because you don't like who she is very much. What Peter's telling you to focus on is your inward adorning. The hidden person of the heart. Do you see the wordplay? The external adorning? That's what everybody can see all around you. Oh, well, she wears all of the the newest clothing. I don't know anything about fashion, so you're going to have to forgive me. She wears the latest handbags or the latest shoes or she always has her hair done and her her nails done. Ladies, that's fine. Those things are well and good. But is that what you care more about than the hidden person of your heart, who you are inside, the side of you that will never, perhaps never win a trophy, perhaps the side of you that wouldn't win on a pageant because... It's the hidden side of you, because it's the side that God sees. It's the side of you that only God sees. Who's that person like? What does she look like? This serves us an example here of what respectful and pure conduct would look like. It's not the lavish dressing of yourself, but it's taking careful attention to who you are inside. Every time your husband asks you to do something, do you hit him with an attitude, well, what about what you've been doing? What about this? And what about that? What about, what about, what about? Or is the hidden person of your heart respectful and pure? Is she gentle And quiet spirit. Do you notice what Peter is saying here? I want to challenge you. Because perhaps this is difficult for you to hear. Especially from a man, I know. How's a man going to tell me how to be a woman? I understand. But remember, this isn't me. This is what God's Word says. But as you hear this this morning, do you look at this phrase here at the end of verse 4, which in God's sight is very precious. You want to be beautiful. Be beautiful to God. God invented beauty. God, have you seen the sunset? Have you seen mountains before? Have you ever watched, G- Gabby and I love to watch nature shows, and we love to see all of these different crazy creatures that are out there, and they just exist out there, right now, they're out there, just beautiful birds and all sorts of different creatures that we've never seen before, and colors and patterns, and you know what it points to is that if anybody knows beauty, it's God. What does this God say is beautiful? It's who you are inside. You can fix yourself up and you can dress yourself up and you can be really attractive to the eye. But what's going on in here? Do you submit to your husband? Is it a joy for you to submit to your husband? Not because he's so smart and he's better than me and he's smarter than I am and I just, a woman's got to be put in her place, not because of any of those things but because you love the Lord your God and you want to please Him. See, ladies, serving God is not just for men. Serving God is for all of us. That we would all take it upon ourselves to see what's written for us in Holy Scripture and say, Yes, Lord. But there's more wordplay here. He says, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry. And then he calls the gentle and quiet spirit precious in God's sight. It's a Greek word, polytheles. you know what it means? It means extremely valuable. It's translated costly in reference to the the pure nard that was poured on Jesus in Mark 14.3. It's valuable to God who owns everything, who created everything everything and has need for nothing you can live and conduct yourself in such a way that when God looks at you he sees something valuable and precious and beautiful don't you want that you see submitting to your husband is not about oppression and being put in your place let's understand there is real pride there That's going to say, well, no man's going to tell me. No man's going to do this. No man is going to do that. But understand, when you do those things, you're arguing against God. Because God has created a particular order in which things are supposed to operate. You want to have a good marriage? You want to have excitement and joy and romance in your marriage? Do it the way that God said to do it. You know how many books there are out there today? (laughs) Have you ever stood in line at the grocery store and you just turn your head and there's magazines aplenty, aren't there? Cosmopolitan. Five ways to do this. Five ways. Seven tricks for your makeup or whatever. What would our society be like if it was here's what God says you're supposed to do? What would our marriages look like if we cared more about submitting to what God's order was for us, how happy would our marriages be? We read this morning, blessed are those who walk according to His testimonies, who keep their way according to His testimonies. This is part of it. True, timeless beauty is possessed by a woman Who submits to her husband, conducts herself in purity and respect, and has a gentle and quiet spirit. There's always a new fad, isn't there? There's always a new trend. And you always have to keep up to be objectively beautiful to the world. But the way to really be beautiful in a way that's timeless is to submit yourself to your husband with pure and respectful conduct. To have a pure, a gentle and quiet spirit. This, Peter says, is what will win the man over without a word. That is amazing. Lastly, she hopes in God. Let's read verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I love this so much because I think often in the Christian faith, we can we can almost do women a disservice in that all of the great people of the faith of old were all men. And there's never been a great woman of the faith. It's only men. And women, you just kind of stand in the shadow and look pretty for us, okay? But that's not the case. As a matter of fact, if you look at Jesus' ministry, how often did he bring women in the woman at the well, she went back and told the village of the good news of Jesus. Jesus elevated women. So it would be easy then to maybe not really feel like you have anyone to look up to, perhaps in the way that men do. Right? We have Martin Luther who went and nailed the 95 theses to the door. Right? We have Calvin Who, John Calvin, who has written just some of the most brilliant theological work in history, all of the New Testament, man after man after man, all of the preachers, man, man, men. And so it could be easy then to begin to think that there's no role models for godly women, but that is not the case, is it? Because what does Peter say? This is how the holy women who hoped in God. My goodness, wouldn't you want that to be written on your gravestone? Here lies a holy woman who hoped in God. Isn't that how you would want your husband to speak about you? Tell me about her. What's she like? She's a holy woman who hopes in God. Or do you want him to say, well, she's always nagging at me, she's always doing this, and she's always doing that, and she, she never listens to anything i got to say, and she's just always poking at me, and always making me feel bad, and always telling me how I'm not a good enough man, and I'm never doing anything right. Or would it be better to live in such a way where you're just like one of these holy women of old who hoped in God? I'm not a woman, and I would want that to be said of me as a man. That I was a holy man who hopes in God. So how do you do that? You submit yourself to your husband. You keep pure and respectful conduct. A gentle and quiet spirit. You work on the woman inside more than you work on the woman outside. And you hope in God. I love that Peter puts this here because it shows us that this call for wives to submit to their husbands isn't something unique to Peter. Peter didn't make it up. It's not something that he just said on a whim because he wanted men to hold power over women. But on the contrary, this is how the holy women of days gone by, the ones who hoped in God, they've, they've always conducted themselves this way in marriage. I want to point out that these women that Peter points to, the holy women, they are an example for you in serving the Lord, in believing in God, and living quorum Deo. We talked about that in Sunday school. Living in the face of God. You, You can go about your day. You can hear all of this today and say, man, that was a giant waste of time. I wish I had stayed home. Or I wish I would have just listened on the internet so I could have done something else while I was listening. By all means, it's your prerogative. Or you can hear this today and say, I want to live in the face of God. I want to live as though God's eyes are ever upon me because sisters, they are. I want to live that way. I want to be like these holy women of old who hoped in God. And how will you do that? By studying your Bible. One of the great disservices that Christian literature does today is all of the things that are geared towards women have butterflies and they're pink and they talk about a God who just wants to give you sloppy wet kisses. And it never challenges you to learn and to grow And to study. We hear words like theology and doctrine. And we think those things are for men. For women, we just need to be pretty and kind of be nice. But what a great disservice that is because this God wants you to know Him as well as He wants men to know Him. This God has opened the door. He has torn the veil so that you could come in and know Him and worship Him and commune with Him. Sisters, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you pick up the Bible? Grab a commentary. Study it. Learn your Bible. And understand that there is a great depth, a great deep well of treasure for you to dig out. And then you apply it to your life and you can live in a way where you are beautiful in the eyes of God by caring for the inner woman. After all, we have an example of Eve to go back to her of what happens when you don't really know God's word for certain. What did a serpent say? Did God really say? And notice what he did. He went to the woman. Not to the man. He didn't go to Adam. He went to the woman. And he caused all of this to happen by subverting God's created order of authority and headship. And he goes to the woman and says, Did God really say? You ought to conduct yourself in such a way, study your Bible in such a way where when that question is asked to you, you can say, yes, he did. Yes, God did say that. And I stand on what God says. I stand on what God has spoken. I stand on what God has proclaimed. ladies standing firm on God's word is not just for men. It's not just for the reformers of the 1500s. It's for you too. God has given us all His Word, not just to men. He's given it to women as well so that you could study and learn and grow and thrive. I want you to turn to Ephesians 5 real quick. I want you to have a little bit more motivation here. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself, is himself its Savior now, as the church submits to Christ. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Men, you've been given the role of authority and headship to lead your wives well. And women, you have been given the role of of you play the church in this real life portrait of the gospel. And so whenever you say, no, I don't think I will submit. No, I think I will speak my mind and give him a piece of my mind and tell him off and tell him how he's not going to talk to me that way and tell him how terrible he is and how he never does anything good. I will do these things. You know what you're saying is that this is how the church acts towards Christ ever thought about it that way see your marriage is a picture of the gospel you submit because the church submits to Christ now granted it would be wonderful if men we loved our wives like Christ loved the church but Peter's call right now our focus in these six verses is women You submit even if your husband doesn't. That's hard, isn't it? It's one of those things that's a lot easier said than done. And ladies, this is exactly why you must hope in God. Why you must be a woman who prays. A woman who tarries in the presence of the Lord. A woman who opens her Bible and knows it. Your Bible Ought to be more marked up than your makeup bag is. That it is covered in color and marks and just torn to pieces almost because you're searching the scriptures looking for hope in God because you want to be a holy woman, one of these holy women who hope in God. We have those kinds of women, we have the kind of men that we'll talk about next week. Our marriages are going to thrive. Our children are going to flourish. This church will flourish and thrive when we all operate according to God's created order. As we live as faithful sojourners in this world, wives, you can walk worthy in this wayward world by submitting yourself to your husband, adorning yourself with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit and by following the example of the holy women of old and hoping in God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are many difficult truths that we face in your word. There are many things that are hard to say that must be said. Lord, we don't want to shrink back away from things that make us uncomfortable. But instead, we want to be feel that uncomfortableness and allow it to draw drive us to our knees before you, confessing our utter dependence and need for you. I pray, Lord, that you would make this a te- this text a reality in the lives of our women the ones who are wives and the ones who will be wives, that this text would be a reality, that we wouldn't care about what the world has to say about it. We just want to do what God says. I pray that our marriages would thrive because of it. And We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.